Coming up on this month's Soundwriter Show, we've got an interview with a 16-year veteran racer of the Bonneville Salt Flats. We've got DNR land closures in eastern Washington and unexpected things you can do with painter's tape. It's all coming up on the Soundwriter Show. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Clem's Enumclaw Power Sports, your South Sound destination for your favorite brands like Yamaha, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Can-Am, and Kimco. And Clem's goes beyond motorcycles to satisfy all your outdoor passions with a full line of UTVs, ATVs, snowmobiles, personal watercraft, and cargo trailers. Have you got a dirt bike you want to convert to a snow bike? Visit Clem's today and discover all the possibilities. This is David Christensen with Tucker Rocky. Welcome to the Soundwriter Show. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Soundwriter Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now, here are your hosts, Tom Merrin and whoever else happens to drop by. Welcome riders from all over the Pacific Northwest, all over the United States, and all over the world. It is the August edition of the Soundwriter Show, and I've got some great news this month. You don't have to listen to me talk to a microphone the whole time. Yay! Yeah, because we have a special co-host here on the show today with us. Her name is Jennifer Poole. Hi, everybody. She uh, is out in the Bremerton area. She uh, loves to ride motorcycles. She loves to talk about motorcycles. She likes to go participate in motorcycle events like track days, ride like a cop, dirt first, rally in the gorge. The list goes on and on. And uh, she's been riding now for about 14 years She's got a KLR and an FC1. She's got a new bike on the way. Won't tell you what it is yet. She's got. Uh, she's had a, a Moto Guzzi before. She's had a vintage 1970 Honda CB350. And uh, we're very happy to have you here on the show so that I don't sound like a talking head. Happy to be here and happy to help the listeners not have to listen to you by yourself, not having uh, anybody to banter with. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was okay. The cat sat over in the chair next to me, but it just wasn't the same. (laughs) Who doesn't love a good meow every now and then? (laughs) And he's here helping anyways. They're always so helpful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his teeth are in my finger right now, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I know he's, he's pacified. Um. So what's going on? You, you, you've been out cruising around. How'd you deal with the heat? Did you get through that okay? I did. I tend to like the hotter weather, and so I don't mind it. And also, uh, you know, if, uh, if we close the curtains and uh, turn the fans on, the house stays pretty comfortable. And most of those days, I was still wearing fleece until about noon. Did you do any riding? I did. Um, you know, I was at the uh, the Ridge Motorsports Park for Motor America when the the hottest days were rolling through, mm. and I 
took a bag of gear with me because the Yamaha demo truck was supposed to be there. Well, they didn't end up showing up, um, but I was willing. <laughs> I was willing to put that gear on and go on some test rides uh, in in that kind of heat. But uh, apparently, Yamaha didn't think uh, they were. Uh, I don't know. Either it was a bad idea from their perspective, or they didn't think anybody'd show up, or they it's didn't want a smart move on their part. Right. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't want to deal with people, you know, passing out from heat stroke while riding their motorcycles. Um, let's see. Did you get out in the the hot weather I, riding? I did a lot of stuff around the house and and I did some of my dog walking, but I didn't do any riding. Mm-hmm. Um and you know what I found was that if I was doing something, I was more comfortable breaking a sweat than sitting in the house, just sitting there, you know? Right, just like you're in a sauna. Yeah, it's like when you turn your body on and you get that whole perspiration thing going, it's uh, it's much happier doing that than just sitting there with a fan blowing, you know, 100-degree air against you. Sure, and just having nothing else to think about but how hot you are right then. <laughs> I had my cooling vest on for a while. Did you? You know, I, I picked up that really great uh, mesh jacket in the raffle a couple of years ago at Rally in the Gorge, and that's been my go-to. Up until that point, I had a mesh jacket that had a way, probably more airflow through it than it was an older hand-me-down, and it, um, you know, it, it's the kind where you take that jacket off and you're covered in a waffle pattern of dust. <laughs> Oh, oh, the one you want to always want to use when you're trying to get just the right sun tan. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I upgraded when uh, when I got that uh, jacket through the raffle at the rally in the gorge, and that's been my go-to in the hot weather. Um, and I also I don't mind leather. I don't mind leather up into about eighty or ninety degrees. I don't uh, have a problem with uh, that level of heat. Well, that's the thing when you have a mesh on. And you hit the 90s. Now you've yep. got a wall of 90-degree air coming at your body. Right. So it doesn't really I, – I tend to like to wear a full jacket and just open up vents and get some air moving around in there, but keep that that layer of perspiration on my skin. Right. So – but now I just uh, – I put the bike up in the shop the other day. It's It was ready for a 24,000-mile service. And so I wasn't able to use it to go pre-ride all the pavement sections of the Rally in the Gorge. So instead what we did was we got into Connie's red rice rocket, we call it, the Honda Civic. Now what Civic. is that bike? The, uh, oh, the Honda Civic. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I know. You're thinking of VFR, right? I, I was. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably got a motor that's twice the size of a VFR motor. I don't know. There well, you go. It, 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 it was fun. So we went down and, and uh, uh, first thing I had to do was try to find a hotel. And everything in Hood River that was available was $400 a night or more. Ooh. You so, know, I think that area doesn't have a whole lot of lodging anyway. The one year we went down to uh, the Rally in the Gorge and we had uh, major engine issues with my husband's KLR and we ended up switching to the uh, street bikes and then we didn't have the capacity to haul camping gear. So we real quick got an Airbnb, uh, but boy, it was slim pickings. And um, I, I think, uh, you know, that's, that might be an, an issue down there, especially during the tourist season of being able to find 
enough lodging or lodging at a reasonable price. We wound up staying in Goldendale at the Ponderosa Inn, where I never stayed up there before. Yeah, you know, uh, Goldendale, uh, there's there's not a whole lot there, so you're lucky you found something. Um, the little restaurant that I always loved in Goldendale is gone. It was called the Glass Onion, but it's been replaced by a barbecue joint, and the barbecue joint is, is fairly decent. Lots of outdoor seating now. Nice. I remember there's a, isn't there a Mexican restaurant there? Yeah, the uh, yep. Atula. Right, and that's right next to one of the, isn't that right next to like a Best Western or another hotel, I right. think, right in that area? Yep. There's a hotel there, and there's a McDonald's and a Subway and all right. that good stuff. Sure. So, so yeah, if anybody thinking about going down to the gorge that hasn't already made accommodations, either go ahead and get them made or um, consider bringing your camping gear down. We'll have plenty of camping. People always ask me, uh, are you going to have room for my RV? And we do. We've never had an issue with not having enough RV. You know, and the the fairground there is uh, real nice because everybody with an RV gets a 50-amp hookup. Nice. Uh, And it's not shared with another person's 50-amp hookup. So I don't know. I don't know the first time you came to the rally in the gorge, but we used to do it down in Skamania County. And the fairground there, everybody was blowing the breakers because they had like 40-amp breakers, but you had to divvy them between four RVs. Oh, dear. So it didn't really work out that well. Yeah, the first year we went down to the Rally in the Gorge was the year you had moved to the um, the Antique Air and Auto Museum. Oh, that was the year of the uh, that they turned uh, yep. the fairground into a fire camp. Right, yeah. and one of the things that was uh, that spoiled us was their their very well level, nice manicured lawn. I don't know that I've ever camped on such a nice piece of ground. <laughs> it was. was uh, they take really good care of that that field out there, and they had it all manicured so well because they were going to have the fly in the next weekend. Oh, right. Yeah, there were a lot of cool uh, planes coming in and out of there, and, and we didn't get a chance to get into the museum, but I'd love to get back down there because at, at that point, and I want to say that was 2017, they were pretty close to 100% fully functional automobiles and airplanes in their antique museum, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, that's that's kind of the rule is it either it either has to fly or drive or it will fly or drive uh at some point that it's in the exhibition and they rotate stuff around all the time yeah it's a cool place so yeah well you gotta go you gotta go there um maybe this year because you're going to be down there this year exactly so uh one of the things that i discovered on this trip was that there's a road between glenwood and um, well let's just say the columbia river it's called the fisher hill road and you go up to a town called Appleton, and then you continue north on on the Fisher Hill Road, and you it it turns to dirt about mm. three miles before it goes down to Glenwood. Except okay. now it's paved. Ah, so you got the whole full paved version to run. Yeah, nice. And there's an overlook up there of Mount Ooh. Adams, and so we have a an entirely new. Uh, route, route for people to do this year, and I've been waiting for them to get this paid because it's really a blast of a ride. 
So Sweet. now people will be able to do it and not just, you know, not just the dual sport guys anymore. So you've had that on the one of the GPS tracks for the dual sport riders in the past? Yeah, I, I had it when it was like 13 miles of dirt a couple of times, and then they paved 10 miles of it, and I still put on the three miles. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of a heartbreak for the dual sport guys, but they have plenty sure. of roads to enjoy anyways. So It's true. There's so many great back roads in that area. Yep. All right, let's take a little break, and then we'll come back with the news bites. Sounds good. Support for Soundrider and the Soundrider Show is made possible by Adventure Motorsports, Stomish County's largest selection of Yamaha and Suzuki motorcycles, ATVs, quads, and UTVs are available in Monroe at Adventure Motorsports. Celebrating a decade of top-rated sales, service, parts, and accessory support, hit the road and visit Adventure Motorsports today. Hello, I'm David Paul. I live in Green Bank, Washington. Um, I ride regularly on a 2006 F650 GS, and my favorite rides are down in the gorge. Hi, this is Don Doherty with All Moto Tire, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. the Soundwriter Show. I am the publisher, Tom Marin, and I am here with Jennifer Pohl, who is doing a great job filling in as the co-host. Woo-woo. <laughs> so, Happy to be here. Uh, we're going to do the news, bi- news bite segment here, and the first thing we're going to cover is you went to Moto America. I did. I went to Moto America at the Ridge Motorsports Park in Shelton. And if you don't know where Shelton is, um, it's roughly between uh, Bremerton and Olympia, Washington. And it's uh, it's out near uh, an airfield, uh, Sanderson Airfield. And I think there's a drive-in out there. It's uh, uh, off of 101, Highway 101. If you ever do the 101 loop, you'll you'll get pretty close to it. Uh, now, north of Olympia, about, what, 10, 15 miles? I take all the back roads and I don't really know. (laughs) That's a great question. I think it's probably, well, it's considered to be in the town of Shelton. So definitely closer to Shelton than Olympia. Uh, Now, this is the second year that Moto America has come to the Ridge. But of course, last year they didn't allow spectators. And so this is the first year that they've opened it up to spectators. Uh, Now, if you've ever been out to the Ridge, they do uh, all kinds of... um, driving uh you know you can you can you know take your sports car out there and and put it to the test uh, they do racing out there and then they have motorcycle events uh, and lots and lots of track days uh, which are great so and it's a really fun track it's uh 2.47 miles um and it's a nice wide 40 foot wide track uh you've got well, you had 14 turns, but they added a, another little uh, chicane for Moto America to, to slow people down before turn one. So now the Shelt the Ridge website uh, says 16 turns, but uh, for the purposes of Moto America, they 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 still refer to it as a 14 they, uh, turn uh, track. They just I think it was kind of 
think that's kind of good they did that because that mm-hmm. leading up there to to turn one was yep. uh, a little too tempting to overdo right. it. Yeah, that is a really long front straight, and you can really get your speeds up, and so uh, slowed people down a little bit. But it also, uh, you know, the first year they had Moto America out there, it, it uh, uh, you know resulted in some some crashes uh, during one of the races that uh, knocked out the you know top contender on day one. So uh, you know, I, I didn't see any of that this year uh, or any major mishaps, but. Uh, you know, the Ridge did a lot of work to um, get the track ready for Moto America and to be able to be a contender in, in getting the race to come there. Uh, so they built a, a new event center and they added a bridge so you could get to the upper part of the track. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I haven't been it, out there for a couple of years. Well, I, you know, I had high hopes that it was, uh, you know, going to be, uh, you know, they're, it's coming along. They've got a ways to go yet. But what happens now is, uh, you know, you can get up over the track on a, you know, they've built a, an aluminum bridge with stairs. And once you get over across the bridge, then you've got a pretty steep incline that you've got to walk up on a paved, um, you know, side hill to get the rest of the way up. Yeah, and you get up on the top of that hill that drops down, right? Yeah, you end up, they, oh, they set it up. Right. Or something? Yeah, they put, well, there's, there's a small set of bleachers by turn 12, and then they set up a larger grandstand area that was uh, so you could see the carousel and you know turn seven and eight and um, you know we we ended up we were we started out at the the main grandstand there and you know I mean it's fun to watch people go around the carousel and and come down out of there uh, but it's a that's not a really challenging turn and so we ended up moving over to uh, where turn 12 is and um, you know that's a, a really tricky spot there's a decreasing radius turn and then there's a you know a right hander and then you come into the straight before you drop down uh, the little cliff and then on the front straight and boy we we saw a lot of excitement in that turn and you know interesting challenging passes and we just had way more fun and we could see a little bit of the carousel from where we were but that was by far the smaller of the the seating areas and um you know we enjoyed that a whole heck of a lot more than uh the other section uh the the one of the major drawbacks and uh, you know this would be anywhere is the lack of shade and you know you could kind of tuck yourself in behind a tree or a bush if you really wanted yeah. to but you couldn't see much and so if you wanted to be up on those bleachers uh you know we had umbrellas with us on on day we were there all 3 days and we ended up uh coming back the second day with um towels and clamps and wire ties and all yeah. kinds of you know equipment to make our own shade uh, because it was oh it was so hot and there was just no getting away from the sun and and even with you know sunscreen and covering yourself up and you know sh- making shade and hats and whatever you know we all still got a, at least a little bit sunburned you could have you could have worn your mesh jacket and get that super waffle sunburn <laughs> I, know, right? I could have oh man I, the, the opportunities for sunburn patterns were were unlimited uh, so yeah, there was even a, a woman there that uh, was carrying around a uh, umbrella like you'd take out of a uh, you know your backyard picnic table. <laughs> oh yeah, you just take <laughs> she, it wherever she goes and slam she it. Did. 
so we had this huge umbrella and she ended up she had this really great uh, method she'd show up and she would open it up and she would you know tell the whoever was sitting there you know hey uh, you know if you I'll, I'll share my shade with you and then she'd basically hand them the umbrella <laughs> and make so, them hold it yeah. <laughs> so we're like well that's clever <laughs> so yeah so if you you know i i think uh we had a great time um i did check out i didn't spend a whole lot of time down in in you know the pits or any you know trying to it was just too hot <laughs> yeah. to really just be walking around on that blacktop but um you know they did have uh they had they had plenty of parking and you know i don't know if you've uh, for people that haven't been out there they had a, a pretty good sized um motocross area motocross park yeah when you put when you drive in yep. on a drive there mm-hmm. yeah. well they've closed that down and i'm not sure how long that's been closed um i initially thought that they they bulldozed that and uh used it for parking and i thought well that's a clever idea because you know they didn't have a whole lot of parking out there um and then i checked later and it, I think that uh, that motocross park has been closed down for a while. And maybe that's, you know, when everything was closing, they just shut that down. Well, the thing uh, about those is you can always build them, build them back mm-hmm. up and open them up again. It yeah, may have they, just closed it for COVID, you know. Right, exactly. And they did have a, you know, a huge pile of dirt out there with all the Komatsu uh, bulldozers up there to show off because uh, they were sponsoring uh, Moto America this year. So it made a nice, uh, you know, visual for the sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, another cool thing about the Ridge, if people don't know, there is a there is a go-kart track there that is an exact replica of the track itself. And they had uh, mini bikes out there and you know, kids racing. And I didn't get that. I could see a little bit of that from up on the hill, but I didn't get down to really check that out. And, uh, you know, that looked like it would have been a ton of fun for the kids and, you know, a good way for them to uh, get exposed to that track pattern without uh, having to be up on the big track. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's hot and uh, we are now seeing the DNR close down all their lands that are east of the Cascades, they say. So, yeah, and you know they just closed or uh, not closed. They they just announced this morning that the Olympic National Park is uh, no no campfires in the Olympic National Park or Olymp- Olympic uh, National Forest, which isn't a surprise. But I think we're just going to be seeing more and more of that. But you could still ride there, right? Yes, yeah, you can still go and and uh, you know play around in uh, uh, the the mountains. So but, that was uh, coming from the DNR or coming from uh, the Forest Service. I, you know, I just heard that uh, a little snippet on the news this morning, and I didn't catch who put that out. Um, I don't know. I don't know who. Uh, I guess National Forest. That would. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to misspeak, but um, uh, but it was. They did say it was both the forest and the national park out there. So I was doing a little homework on this, and because um, I was concerned about the rally in the gorge, and I never really right. thought about how much DNR land was down there. It turns out there's really not a lot. Mm, uh, the DNR lands that are down there are up in northern Klickitat, and mm-hmm. they don't have any roadways other than what the Native Americans can use on the reservation mm-hmm. uh, going up to, like, the fish hatchery. So oh, sure. I don't think we really have an issue there with that. Of course, you know, it's it's the 1st of August here, and we'll just talk, kind of play it by ear every week as we get closer to the date of the event. Are you worried about the smoke or potentially having to move if they're using the fairgrounds again as a staging area for fire firefighting? Have well, you heard anything about that? I don't want to do that, but I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm willing to make the call down to Judy and make it happen. So, um, we'll do that. 
But uh, I'll tell you, when we were down there this weekend, the air quality had an AQI of 10, which is basically nothing. Right. So yeah, I keep checking the maps, and uh, it's looking good so far. You've got that, uh, I think, uh, airnow.gov and airfire.org, and they've got the interactive maps where uh, you can see where the fires and the, the air quality is deteriorating. Yeah, yeah. So we'll just keep watching all that stuff, and we'll we'll make adjustments as needed if necessary. So uh, let's see. Idaho has quite a few new residents that sort of migrated in from California over the last year. And my daughter's one of them. She left Pasadena and moved to Idaho. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, it's uh, becoming an issue with motorcyclists that are new to the area because they're used to doing their lane splitting. And that's not legal in Idaho. So uh, we'll just uh, help get the word out. uh, No lane splitting if you're living in Idaho now. Um, Tenere 700, you have one in your future. I did a test ride on uh, last weekend on the Tenere 700. And the reason I did that is because, uh, you know, my husband has been talking for years about um, having just one motorcycle. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever considered that, Tom. I sure haven't. But I went uh, from five down to two in the last three years. So. <laughs> All right. That's impressive. But you, <laughs> you can't get down to one, can you? No. Right? That's how no. I am. I, I have no interest in just one motorcycle. But, uh, but my husband, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I could see it making sense for him. He just wants a, you know, a good solid commuter where you can, you know, pass on I-5 when you need to and, and then, you know, rally in the gorge and the camping in the Olympics and, you know, and then also being able to have some fun on the pavement. But, uh, you know, he couldn't quite settle on the one bike. And so thought about the Africa twin, uh, you know, thought about I think he test rode a, a KTM, maybe the 1190. Um, but, you know, those bikes are just so big and heavy. And and for the off road that we do. Um, and you know, I don't want to, I can speak for myself. I'm a very uncomfortable intermediate when it comes to the dirt. Uh Um, but, uh, you know, and he's more skilled than I am, but still wasn't excited about it. You know, the more times you got to, and he doesn't drop his bike, but if he did, you know, the more times, you you know, you got to pick, pick up those heavier bikes, or if you don't have dealer support, or if you don't want to spend four hours on your KTM just to change the oil, you know, there's just all kinds of reasons why, you know, he just couldn't find the one bike. And then, so for your test ride on the Tenere 700, did you pull over and change the oil? Just to see what that was like. <laughs> right? I didn't do that. And I was, you know, I was mostly uh, test riding it to see if I could find any flaws with it that I could relate to him because he's uh, traveling right now and he's not able to do, uh, check it out. So I thought I'd do a little, uh, you know, scoping it out for him. And so um, I was riding it from the perspective of trying to figure out if, if he really would like it. And, and my takeaway was, yes, I do think it's a, you know, a great bike for him and that, um, you know, it would fit the bill for, uh, you know, having one bike and, you know, still being fun to ride, but being able to do all the different things he'd want to do with it. And, and, uh, you know, doesn't really have any major flaws. Um, I think it's a great choice. Mm-hmm. It's got it's yeah, got that I, 21 inch front wheel, but mm-hmm. you can use it as a road burner and put right. the luggage on it and right. have it. Yeah. You know, 
take yep. down a pavement for days or go off road. Right. And so I, I, um, I, I will say a couple things, you, you know, there's tons of reviews out there and, and they're all, you know, uh, I wouldn't disagree with any of them. One thing that I don't think I've heard anybody talk about was the, the windscreen has uh, just the right curve to it that a couple of times it distorted the pavement in a way that made me think there was a speed bump in front of me. <laughs> I'll just take it, it off. Right. Or just get it dusty and then you won't have that distortion and who cares anymore. Um, the other thing that I thought was cool. But that he, I he's taller than you, right? He he's going to be looking yep. over that, right? Yeah, he will be. Yeah, I did appreciate that too, even because, you know, with the KLR, you know, if you're going up a steep uphill, you've got to be a little bit careful that you don't get decapitated, you know, and with that smaller windshield, that's not even going to be an issue at all. That thing's got not going to, you know, get anywhere near hitting you if you're, you know, yeah. going up a steep up or bouncing over rocks or whatever. So that was nice. Um, they did have a nice feature and maybe this is more common on newer motorcycles because mine are older, but I had these really cool uh, spool shapes on the back passenger seat for you to, you know, hook your rock straps or your, uh, you know, your metal thing on and and they just like really sturdy nice uh you know tie downs and i i thought that was a, a cool <laughs> something yeah. that i don't know anybody's mentioned but uh but yeah you know i'm i'm taking this opportunity to announce that um that there will be a new tenere 700 in our garage uh toward the end of the first week of August. Mm. And because my husband is traveling, the way he's going to find out about it is I'm going to tell him to listen to this podcast. So you heard oh, it here. You yep. You heard it here on Sound Rider Show. Yeah. There's a, and the a first thing you're going to see a picture of it is, is you on it at the Rally in the Gorge. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> if I liked twin engines better, I might, but uh, I might be sticking with the KLR. I'm not sure. It's, a, it's always a tough decision of which bike to take down to the Rally in the Gorge because there's just so many great uh, routes and opportunities and uh, you know whether you take a, uh, a street bike or a sport bike or a touring or a, a dirt bike there's uh, or a you know dual sport there's there's so many great roads down there and so much fun to be had that uh, good luck choosing I, if you're not sure which bike you want to take i've seen a lot of weird motorcycles at rallies but i don't think i've ever seen a lazarus lamoto volante <laughs> flying motorcycle can you tell me about that yeah, you know, the news came out on this uh, fl flying motorcycle around 2019, and, and uh, the they were... Uh reported that uh, five of those were going to be made. Um, and so I, you know, I wanted to check on the update and see if, you know, if they were, if they had been made. And the, the deal with these things is, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a V8 engine. Uh, it's got these, uh, the, the wheels uh, end up uh, on hydraulics. They come out and, and point downward and they've got, um, you know, a, a jet turbine on each wheel. <laughs> that can get you uh, 1300 horsepower and otherwise it's a 470 horsepower engine uh, but what this gets you is you know 10 minutes of hovering at three feet up in the air which you know might not do a whole lot for anybody but uh in terms of getting anywhere you can't get up over traffic uh you know <laughs> so it's you know it's it's not um you know the exact flying motorcycle so, that you might picture you know if you thought about what you wanted a flying motorcycle to be so this so doesn't I, have wings on it 
it doesn't have wings and and there's some other you know there i saw that uh, uh, motorcycle.com put out an article about subaru has a patent out for a flying motorcycle and that's got a little bit more kind of stuff on it and you know maybe fold out wings uh, but this one is, it, you know, it looks like a motorcycle and, uh, you know, it's just got more uh, bulk to it. So hmm. that, uh, but, but so I look at the website and, you know, the, the uh, Lazarus, the company that's making it is um, they're in France. And so their website's in French and you can get the, you know, Google Translate to translate the homepage for you. But, uh, you know, once you dig in. Um, and I, you know, I'm about 80% comprehension on the French and I couldn't see any bikes on the, you know, for sale. And so I thought, oh man, did they sell all five of these things? And I was getting kind of excited. I'm like, this is, you know, there's five people out there with these flying motorcycles. But then I clicked over to the prototype page and it's still on the prototype page. So I was like, wah, wah. And the museums Um, will buy them first probably. Right. Or, you know, uh, you know, somebody with billions of dollars that wants to show off, uh, you know, their cool toys. Um, but anyway, there's more and more, you know, flying cars and flying motorcycles and you can get into a real YouTube wormhole if you want to watch some videos about some interesting stuff that uh, people are trying to come up with. And so uh, uh, what about Kirstein's? That's a place where I can go and look for rare motorcycles oh, like boy, that? I, yeah, this was a, you know, there. So I've spent a bunch of time in Indiana and uh, give a shout out to all my Hoosier friends and family. Uh, there is a, a Harley dealer out there, uh, Kirstings, and you know, <laughs> I, it, it is in the middle of nowhere. So, it, you know, if you know where Lafayette is, where Purdue University is, I'm going to say, you know, it's probably, uh, I don't know, maybe an hour or two from there. Or I think, if, you know, if you came in from Chicago, I think maybe, I, I don't know, a couple hours south of Chicago. But if it's a Harley, it's next to the interstate, right? <laughs> right. No, this isn't a, it really is surrounded by cornfields on a back road in a tiny town in the middle of Indiana, huh. or, well, uh, Western Indiana. But, oh my goodness, you know, the, the, there's a museum out back and the uh i can't remember his first name but mr kirsting who opened the museum there are some really rare bikes out there and if you go to their website you can get a little tour um but gosh i you know for something that's tucked away you wouldn't believe some of the things he had and rare bikes and from all over the world um the other cool thing he had that you won't see anywhere else is uh he he once upon a time took a so uh a uh washing machine engine and use that to build a motorcycle <laughs> well, I so think most of them were like that anyway <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah well you could see the real deal isn't where that, it all started is? <laughs> <laughs> right? uh, yeah so if you're you know if you have uh you know if you've got college-age students that uh you know are going to go to purdue and you want to escort them down there and get them all settled in be sure to take a little side trip and check out this place and and if you're lucky, uh, Mr. Kirsting will, will be there. Sometimes he, um, you know, he'll come into the museum and hang out and greet people. And, uh, you know, what a wealth of, of knowledge and wisdom and what a really cool spot. So, All right. Um, well, let, let's quickly run through a couple of new bikes that are coming. And I'm going to say the name or type of bikes that are coming. And you're just going to give me like a one-liner first thought on it, okay? Sure, let's try All it. Right. Triumph announces MX and Enduro models in development with Ricky Carmichael and Ivan Cervantes providing design feedback. I think that sounds like a great direction to go. Everybody's moving toward dirt. And, uh, you know, if Triumph wants to get in on that, I say go for it and bring in the best to help you figure that out. 
All right, Yamaha, moving from the R6 to the R7, I ask why? I did read that they were discontinuing the R6, but I, you know, I don't know. Uh, can you run the R7 in, in the racing series when everything else is a 600 or a well, 636? That's what I was wondering was there, there's not even like a 750 class anymore, right? is there? It's only I, I 600 in super sports. So. I think so. So I don't know why they're doing that unless they're just trying to bring people into the sport market that don't want a thousand CCs hmm. and they, you know, their video shows it being more narrow and, you know, potentially more nimble and maybe a little bit more user-friendly, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where they're going with that. Uh, yeah. What's up, Yamaha? All right. Last one. Harley Davidson, 121 horsepower sportster. Why? You know, why not? I, I feel like Har- <laughs> I feel like Harley's, you know, kind of trying to break into some new space and do some cool new stuff. And yeah, I say why not? All right. Let's uh let's take a little break and then when we come back we're gonna go through the calendar. Support for Soundwriter and the Soundwriter Show is made possible by The Rally in the Gorge. Are you ready to go beyond the main roads? Since 2003, The Rally in the Gorge has introduced riders intimately to the awesome secondary and tertiary roads in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area. With programs for dual sport, adventure, sport touring, and sport bike enthusiasts, this is the rally you'll want to return to again and again. For more information, visit soundrider.com slash rally. Hi, I'm Greg from Goldendale, Washington. Only lived out here a year, but there's all kind of great roads to ride, and I haven't found them all yet. Hi, this is Joanne Gerbing from Gordon's Heated Clothing, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. We're back on the Soundwriter Show. You got me, Tom Marin, publisher, and you got Jennifer Poole here with us. And hey, everybody. Uh, we're going to pop into the calendar segment. Uh, first one I have here is that the Cafe to Cafe Grand Tour continues. And uh, we just found out anybody who is signed up for Cafe to Cafe needs to know that one of the Idaho locations is closed for the season. Uh-oh. Which I thought was odd. It's like, isn't this the season? <laughs> right, right. But uh, they're actually don't they? They prefer their winter business more than their summertime business because they're up in a ski area. That time, do you put up an alternate? So we will have an alternate, and I will be emailing that information out to everybody who is registered. And if you haven't registered yet, but you still want to play, I'll update it on the registration sheet that goes out to the next people who sign up. Okay, now, does anybody get bonus points if they go out there anyway? Well, you always get bonus points with Cafe to Cafe if you patronize the restaurant. So you get one point when you hit the location and take your picture, and then you get a bonus point if you uh, buy something while you're there. Got it. So now the place that's closed just comes off the list. It'll come off the list, and there'll be an alternate nearby because there's plenty of other restaurants in that area. Nice. So, 
Uh, several track days coming up on the calendar. I'm not going to run through them all, but if you're uh, into riding around in circles, then uh, that's how you do it. And we've got I saw a few at the Ridge. We've got some down at uh, ORP. So speaking of ORP, that's uh, people who come to the Rallying Gorge have the opportunity to go ride the track at ORP. We have a designated time, and they, they it's it's called parade laps. You don't do anything crazy, but uh, give you the experience of that track and let yeah, you see I'm, what it's like. Have you I gone and check, done that before? I haven't. We've always been doing other stuff, but I think I might check that out this year because I'd love to see that track close up. Good. Uh, August 6th through the 15th, Sturgis. Are you going? I am not. Are you? No. <laughs> I'm going the opposite direction. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'd be curious to see that anybody from out here that's headed that way is going to have to get through the smoke, and uh, it might be a little bit more of a challenging trip. Yeah, and I wonder about doing large events like that still with the with the pandemic where it's at, where with uh, you know that volume of people in one place it didn't really work out that well last year for everybody, but. Right, I was thinking they did still have it last year, didn't they? They did, and then they had a uptick in cases from people who went. So I don't know. Um, Wimra and Omra racing together at the Ridge. Boy, we sure are talking about the Ridge a lot today, huh? We sure are, and you know, I was going to give them a because now that they have spectator uh, capabilities there, it might be easier for people to go watch the races there than it has been in the past. But uh, I haven't had a chance to get a hold of them yet. But if that is something that where people can go spectate, then uh, I would encourage Wamra and Omra to get that information up on their website. Yeah, and uh, I think those people are always looking for volunteers to do to right. work in the corners. Yep. So. Uh, see, Cascade Motorsports has a Gymkhana class coming up on August 15th at their Anacortes locations. Did I say, it's not, not Cascade Motorsports, Cascade Motorcycle Safety. Yes. Yep. So that's coming up. And then, uh, toward the end of the month, August 25th through 29th, we've got the Rally in the Gorge. Yay! Yay! It's one of our favorite events all year long, and just can't wait to get down there. I really like the food. <laughs> yeah, you've got some new food on the menu this year, don't yeah, you? Yeah, we're going to have some new food. So Excited about that. Spent all that time, you know, during the pandemic cooking. You know, during the pandemic, like I have one of those little tiny uh, trash cans that you put in the bathroom <laughs> sure. with the lid on it. And so I always use like that kind of trash can for doing all the compost in the kitchen. Sure. I just basically put that thing away because I was filling up like a shopping bag with compost every day during the pandemic. Oh, man. And we'll all benefit from it at the gorge because you'll have all those new recipes for us. Yeah, I won't be bringing the actual compost down. Right, right, right. Now, are you using that in the garden? Are you growing anything with that compost? No, we throw it out in a green can and let the city do whatever they want with it. Nice, nice. We do do uh, composting of a lot of the leaves and stuff here in the building where I live. Mm-hmm. Where I'm the gardener. So, <laughs> uh, sadly, uh, Horizons Unlimited will not be doing their Hukon West event up in Canada in British Columbia at the end of August. So, if you were signed up for that, you need to 
get back online and see what the arrangements are. It's probably a rollover to next year. And that's uh, they do. Uh, that's uh, part rally, part uh, classes, presentations. Is that uh, yeah? That yep. And they have a competition, Thanks. kind of like a scavenger hunt. You've got to go to all these different places. So I had some guys invite me to go with them one day. They wanted me to go because they knew that I knew how to use a GPS well. Yeah, that's an advantage for sure. And I kind of looked at all the roads up there, and they were all kind of out and backs. Because in the Canadian forest areas, there's not a lot of dirt roads that go through to anything. Gotcha. And I just thought, you know, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) So I didn't go, and they had had some interesting moments. I heard all about it when they got back. I bet. (laughs) Yeah, you you know, if you got uh, GPS troubles or you're not all that comfortable using it, you could get into some really interesting situations. Yeah. Yes, you can. You know what the you know what the two things are that you have to know about a GPS, don't you? That it's probably wrong. <laughs> uh, you you got to know how to use it, and you got to know when to tell it to uh, override. Uh, yeah, to t- take a hike. Yep, yeah. for sure. Had to do that several times on the pre-ride. Like, yeah, you what? know, there's also a little bit of a delay sometimes too, where you get the turn information, especially if you're in the, you know, the on the back roads and out in the forest. Those signal times can be kind of slow, and by the time you get told to turn, you're well past it. Yeah, and especially like if your GPS is from 2005, that'll happen <laughs> for sure. <Right. laughs> yeah, I was and working there. on the routes the other day for the rally, and I, I had a, a ride that went up through the Dells, and when I told it to burn it to a track. Uh, it burned this like 300 foot down a dirt road, <laughs> turn around and come back out onto the paved road. I'm like, no, that's uh, not going to nope. work. So then I had to learn how to go in because eh, they keep changing the software all the time. Right. And so in base camp, I, I learned how ridiculous it is to have to remove uh, track points. It's not easy. And you have to remove them one at a time. With with the old city navigator, you could just highlight over the area you want to eliminate. Oh, man. So now it's it's one by one. I could (sighs) not find a way to do that in Basecamp. And I I downloaded the manual and all that. Sure. Yeah, that sounds uh, very tedious. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Uh, August 27th, a bait has a run to the desert motorcycle rally. They've been doing this a few years now. This is out at Soap Lake, so we know there's a lot of fires on the east side of the Cascades over there. I would watch that AQI in that area as yeah, the date well, comes closer. Have you been out to the Soap Lake? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. A, and there's a, yeah, it is nice and soapy. I've never floated in it. I didn't float in it, but we did uh, stick our hands in there so we could uh, say we'd been there, done that, and could verify its soapiness. You know, there's teepees out there you can rent. Oh, I didn't know that. That sounds fun. Just off the highway. You'll see them when you're driving. They're out on the west side of the highway there. And uh, I've always kind of wanted to do that. But, man, it's like 200 bucks a night for a teepee. Wow. I'm like, whoa. Hmm. I don't know. I've stayed in the teepees down at Kanita. Have you ever done that? I have not. No, it, it it took us forever to get a yurt. We wanted to try staying in a yurt one time, and they're always booked up. And we ended up going in the off season, and it was pouring rain. And boy, is that loud! <laughs> yeah, <I> bet. 
<laughs> wind I, and rain in a yurt, not cool. I do like to get a cabin or a yurt now and then out of the state park. And sure. I'll usually do that in the fall. So, yeah, rain is right. a possibility. Yeah, off-season for, you know, getting reservations for some of those high-demand spots is the way to go. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay. So, uh, September 9th through the 16th, Moto Guzzi is going to run something called the Moto Guzzi Experience Big Sky Tour in Montana. Uh, actually, it'll cover both my Montana and Wyoming. So I, I believe that means they're going to Yellowstone and up over Red Lodge and uh, all that area out there. I did not see going to the Sun Highway on the route, so it doesn't look like they're going to go that far west in Montana. And this is a bring your own Moto Guzzi. They're not going to supply them for you. Not that I know of. I, <laughs> more details about this are going to be online, and, and I think there's actually a link in our calendar for it. Fun. So, I know Ducati used to run a what do they call it a Gran Turismo or something. Oh, like right, that. that's right. They I, did. Have they stopped doing that? I did that one year up in Canada. I brought Fun. a bright red PC800. Nice. Pacific Coast. It wasn't a Ducati, but at least it was red. Right, right. <laughs> I did. I rode, a, I think I rode one of the monsters on a, a, a test ride one time, and, and uh, it was a whole bunch of European bikes. And, and I just kept, you know, trying to isolate the sound of going, is that is that my bike? Is that the bike I'm on? Boy, that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a symphony of excellent noise. It was great. Mm, I'm almost trying to... Fit, see how many earplugs I can stick in my ears. <laughs> Try to save what little hearing I have left. Right? <laughs> you would have needed them that day, as many as you could get. So, so many options. Uh, the Salt Lake Bonneville speed trials are going to come up at the end of August, too. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we've got a special guest here with the local Pacific Northwest racing team that goes out to the salt flats every summer. And uh, I think I think if you want to know more about this, you're going to want to definitely listen to the interview coming up. We'll be right back. Support for the Soundwriters Show is provided in part by Cycle Barn of Smoky Point, your destination location for all things Honda, Yamaha, Kawasaki, and KTM. Featuring a large showroom and fully staffed service area, the Smoky Point Cycle Barn is the place to come and compare all the latest models, have your bike serviced, and shop for aftermarket apparel and parts. Visit them online at CycleBarn.com. My name is Dana. I live in Seattle. I ride an R100GS. I like to ride around the Cascades. Hi, this is Ray Crapo from Icon Motorsports. You're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Back on the Soundwriter Show, I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Jennifer Poole, who's our co-host with us today. And we've got a special guest in the studio right now from the Sodium Distortion Racing Team. We've got Bill Woods. Nice of you to drop in today, sir. Thank you very much for having us. So uh, 
People may or may not know this, but there's a racing team here in the Pacific Northwest that goes to the Bonneville Salt Flats every summer. It's called Social Distortion. Tell us a little bit of the history of the of how that all got started. Well, we, uh, 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 my best friend Jason Omar and I um, had been racing quite a few things, and his dad. Uh, it always encouraged other forms of racing and he wanted to go to the Bonneville salt flats and he invited us to come with him. And so our first year down, we, uh, we went down to go to the, the salt flats to support his dad's effort. And it was a little 500 twin with a custom built frame. And we showed up on the salt and had a, had a lot of challenges that, uh, first year. And we found a calling that, uh, there is more challenges there in racing, more challenges there in the logistics, and had an absolute uh, time of our lives with the people and the camaraderie down there. And we got salt fever, plain and simple. Yeah. And so how many years has that been now? Uh, 16 years, I believe. Wow, 16 years. So it's kind of like every summer in August you make the pilgrimage out there. <laughs> yes, sir, that is correct. And I know one year you were with us at the Rally in the Gorge. We must have had a different date on the rally that didn't conflict that year. Correct. Yeah, we've uh, every once in a while the the those calendars have aligned, and and I'm allowed to do other things. <laughs> uh, Bill, you've you've broken some records down there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, it's uh, so it, it, some of the records that I have are are records that were pretty um, pretty challenging, which are. Uh, uh, not really driven by displacement class. So there's a lot of challenges in the different classes. Um, just building big bikes to go fast is one thing, but getting small bikes to go faster than the other guys or gals bikes can be a whole another challenge. And, uh, we've, I've raced everything from 125 cc's to the two liter class, uh, 2000 cc's. And, um, Everything from production-based bikes, which have to look like they left the dealer floor. And those are actually the hardest ones to me. Uh, they're really a challenge because you're trying to get speed out of something that has to remain stock or appearing stock. And uh, um, currently, I think I have 12 records. Um, and some of them are records that I bumped from 58 miles an hour to about 93 miles an hour. So those are pretty good smashes of a record. And sometimes you just eke out another competitor by less than a mile an hour. It uh, just enough to take the record. <laughs> now, don't you just get to uh, kind of make up your own class, like uh, one twenty-five with a cowbell on the bottom? Or... <laughs> it would almost seem that way. The classifications for the bikes vary from uh, a lot of it starts with your engine displacement. And then it goes into what your chassis is, whether it's a production-based bike, a modified bike, which can have a cut subframe or something like that. And then there's special construction bikes, which is what we usually run, which are either custom frames from scratch or altered head tube angles. Um, my bikes in particular, I'm kind of known as the lay-down bike guy. <laughs> and you actually lay down on the bikes, and they're uh, uh, probably the least comfortable torment uh, devices known to man and uh, they're torturous to ride but they go really fast because they're very aerodynamic so you're going raleigh freestyle exactly that is uh that is 100 uh um i looked at skydivers and said well 
the position they're in, it must be about as fast as a human body can go for the the guys to do the skydiving. So we tried to replicate that. That brings me to one of my questions, Bill, and that is, uh, you know, a lot of times innovation is more a matter of bringing applications from another field or industry into the work that you're doing. So aside from the skydiving, what other what other industries or experiences have you called upon that might seem unusual to use in the motorcycling context? Uh, it's a great question. A lot of what I've done is um, product development for different companies and uh, done a lot of skill development. So I learned to run a lathe and a mill, and then I learned to weld, and then um, uh, purchase things like tubing benders and specialty equipment for, for bending the tubing. And really... Uh, you can remove most of the constrictions and the confines and the things that make a motorcycle deficient at land speed racing by building your own frame. So the minute that you learn to actually sure. be what I consider a constructor, um, at that point, now you're not held hostage by uh, multi-purpose motorcycles. You get to build purpose-built motorcycles. That makes a lot of sense. Do you find that you're getting more of your uh, gains in advantage from different components or different materials that are available, or is it mainly a matter of the design that's given you your biggest gains? Well, it's funny you ask that question because there's a there's a lot of there's, <laughs> there's a lot of misconception out there that we use a lot of exotic materials and things like that because most of us don't really have very much money. <laughs> Matter right. of fact, we have very little money. Right. So we use a lot of conventional mild steels. Um, we do do some stuff with some plastics, some delrins and acetylene, uh, acetals and things like that. And bearings are typically bicycle bearings because we have a pretty strong background. Omar owned a bicycle shop, and a lot of our technology and, and, tech, uh, and knowledge comes from the bicycle industry. And we use pretty common materials and pretty common components that are found, but we figure out ways to use them in ways other people haven't. And we're not afraid to put hours in. The way I look at it, if I was to build a bike for somebody else, it'd be, oh, it's pretty easy to put seven or 800 hours into a bike every year. And uh, if you were to pay somebody to do that, that'd be a pretty expensive motorcycle that's useless for anything but riding down the salt flats. For sure. So it builds a pretty um, elite club of people that are very dedicated to their sport. So with the with the group this year, do you guys know what bikes you're bringing down this year and what classes you're going to be racing in? This year is going to be a melee. Um, in the back of my truck and my trailer right now, I have a I have a, a the, what I call a second gen V Max, which is the seventeen hundred cc V Max. Uh, that bike I uh, have a we we got our team got a production record on it. And it was held hostage by a shaft drive, so then I converted that to being a chain drive. I think it's the only chain drive VMAX second gen that's known. And, See, uh, there's that special class. Yeah, yeah. The, that the VMAX chain drive class. <laughs> you won. <laughs> the VMAX chain drive. So you can get that diamond-coated uh, BMW chain. Exactly. Get the, get the shiny one. <laughs> right. So, yeah, after I put the chain drive in that, uh, that bike uh, has gone significantly faster. That's a great bike with a lot of power. Um, and uh, so we'll be campaigning the VMAX with and without nitrous if the traction allows. That that bike's typically limited on its top speed by the salt conditions, which is one discouraging thing about that bike and those big bike classes is Mother Nature a lot of times determines how fast you're going to go. And then we're going to run... 
an SR500 that uh, is uh, 10 foot 2 inches long with fully enclosed bodywork. That's a pretty heavily uh, modified bike. I'll be running that on nitrous, and that runs in the classic class. And then um, we'll be running a Harley that uh, is a Ironhead, and that bike will be running. Uh, that bike will be running in the 1350cc class. And then uh, we might be running an electric bike again, which we did get the record with a the lightweight. Uh, there's three divisions of electric motorcycles. And we currently have the record for the lightweight class, and uh, we might be bringing a middleweight bike out this year. And then we have... Uh, is there any particular maker model, or is that just a total modified something? Or other? Uh, that was a heavily modified Alta dirt bike, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, Jose and Bill uh, from Skagit Power Sports came down with us, and, and we worked with Alta. And they uh, let us have some artistic freedoms with their bike, and uh, went out there and put a pretty good record up. So wow! That was a that was a new challenge for us. We love that technology. Think that there's a lot of advancement to happen in the electric bike world. Um, and then we've got a uh, um, Isaac's coming out with us from Speedy Siegel, and uh, he Isaac Siegel's coming out with a uh, he'll be running in the 100 cc vintage class. And then we have a Cushman that uh, David Hardo is going to be running. I think he's going to run in the 200, uh, I think it's 200 cc's that he's running that in. And that's a flathead vintage um, that's a beautiful machine. So we have a, a pretty big variance of uh, <laughs> super fast modern bikes to relatively uh, slow, inexpensive motorcycles and lots of custom work done to them. So with with all those bikes going down and all those racers going down, I know that you guys have volunteers who join in with you. And is that something that you're you're always on the lookout for volunteers, or have you got what you need this year? Uh, we are always looking for volunteers, and this is a really cool opportunity for people that want to go to the Salt Flats to experience it. Uh, Delvine Reaver is the the she's the uh, uh, Delvine Manning Reaver. People know her as both. Um, is the event organizer, and she has a standing offer for people that when they come down, she'll pick up their hotel room and their food. Oh, nice. And so it gives everybody a chance to get a paid vacation, essentially. And uh, it's really fun. Then the volunteers make the event. No two ways about it. Um, it's uh, A lot of it is what we just consider to be our extended family, but our chosen family. And they come back year after year. So... Uh, uh does everybody in your crew go stay at the hotel, or do some people camp on the salt flat there? Uh, surviving on the salt flats at night is brutal. We've yeah, seen it's people, like if it rains, that's nasty. Huh? Oh, it's if it rains, you're done, and uh, it's just so hot, and it, it, oh, there's no okay. moisture left. And it, evenings, it does, sometimes it doesn't cool down hardly at night. So typically, we always stay at the Motel Six. Like everybody knows that for Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials. It's the Motel 6 is where the party is. <laughs> and the quality in is still good, but Sodium Distortion is pretty well known for having a open grill. We fire it up. It stays on all night. Come by, throw food on, hang out, party. Um, you have to go home by 5 because 5.45 coffee starts, and uh, then it's time to get your butt back to racing. Now, do you guys take any of that nitrous oxide over to the hotel and have a little fun talking? <laughs> some of it's medical grade. Some of it's not. <laughs> He says from experience. <laughs> it's not a party. Hey, Better living hey, through chemistry. 
Bill, you mentioned might when you said the electric bike. What's holding you guys back on uh, getting things ready? Um, that's a supply chain issue. It's uh, you know tracking down bits and pieces for the pricing that we can afford. Um, you know, we just don't. Uh, we're, we're friends with uh, a good friend of ours. She campaigns a, a bike that's a sidecar. They're in New Zealand now. But even Bill um, run a, a very competitive program, and she's walked us through what her thoughts are about it. And then we got a hold of um, Steve Huff, has kind of enlightened us with his electric drag cars here locally in town. And I think that uh, we just didn't have time to get the components together. So that's a it's a challenge. Well, yeah. plus if it's an Alta. Yeah, uh, talk about supply chain. There is no more Alta, so as you need parts, you're either going to have to make them yourself, or maybe move to another brand later on. Correct. Yeah, we're we're done with the Alta program because of what's happened there, and um, and we've worked with um, you know um, some of the other suppliers out there, and and we have a. Uh, kind of a really close relationship with tilting motorworks um with mile with bob mile that that has helped us um with some of our programs and he's he's going to help us with uh tracking down some more pieces uh even though they've moved to oregon and have restructured as well so yeah we're just uh it seems like the electric bike world's moving so fast and evolving so fast that uh when you make a relationship with somebody between the time you make the relationship and the time you get parts to build bikes, they've already you know merged or grown or done something. So uh, so we're just you know we just take it in stride and we can build chassis for anything. We just need power plants. Uh, another speaking question. Of, oh, go ahead, Jen. Oh, I was just going to say, speaking of supply chain issues, are you running into that with any of the other bikes that you're taking? Oh yeah, there's all the yep. the challenges of the new world that we live in, um, and we've found it to be. Uh, uh, we found it to be a very predictable thing. So it's, uh, you know, when when we don't have something or we find out we're not going to be able to get something, I've changed uh, induction systems, I've changed ignition systems. Sure. Uh, you know, Fuel Tech has been a great supplier for us. They're they're uh, consistent. So uh, being based out of Brazil, they've got a a bit of an advantage. So yeah, we're we're finding our way through, but it's challenging. Um, another another challenge that's coming up here is uh, more restrictions from the BLM, right? Absolutely. That's the uh, – boy, I'll tell you, I've got a lot of concerns about that, Tom, that uh, um, there's been grants awarded to programs and the money doesn't seem to go to the place that really matters. And some of the other organizations that race out there haven't really implemented um, programs that uh, – promote salt conservation um and there's a mine out there that's uh, there's a company that's doing mining that uh um sometimes they can pump back in sometimes they can't they're supposed to be pumping salt back in and we don't see the volume that we should see so the thins the, the thin salt is of concern and uh the BLM is doing a uh they are really working to manage that and to to develop that program as fast as they can and I compliment them for that cuz um it can't be a he said she said argument it really needs to be a everybody's got to get on board to get this salt flat turned around and get it back into good health so the original length on the track was what 13 miles very good you must and have done your homework a little bit <laughs> and now it's down to 8 
Yeah, yeah. Typically, we can count on about an eight-mile course. So for the motorcycles, are, are you able to get up to top speed within that eight-mile range? Yes. We've got uh, – the, the the simple answer to that is yes. Um, you know, there's some very fast competitors, uh, the Owl Lambs of the world are, uh, you know, shooting for top speeds. Uh, Ralph Hudson, bless soul, that, uh, um, you know, he, he would be at speed uh, when he caught through. The streamliners are motorcycles, but not what people typically think of a motorcycle. They do need more space. The sit-on motorcycle classes, um, they, they, they can get to speed. We can get to speed. We have, so how it works is we have a, we have a run-up and then we have a full measured mile at speed. So if you have an eight-mile course, then you would actually be coming up into it for, say, just round the numbers up. Say you're you're getting up to speed for three miles, and then you've got a measured mile at the fourth mile, and then you've got three miles to shut down. Okay. So, and then you got to turn around and do the, the same thing in the opposite direction, right? And that's how they calculate your top speed. Correct. That's how our organization works for AMA and FIM records. Okay. So, Bill, if you're focused on speed and not so much – on braking how do you slow I, well my question is do you guys end up leaving off some of the components that you might need for efficient braking because of the weight or they're in the way and you know then you're in a situation of hoping you know <laughs> inertia slows you down <laughs> uh, so tell me about the braking out on the salt flats and what compromises you make because you're focused on speed and not so much on slowing down well, Jennifer, that's a great question, and I'm just going to hope that none of the tech inspectors are going to listen to this. Cause, uh, <laughs> that's I'll, what I was afraid of. I'll take every single thing off my motorcycle that could possibly slow it down before I go out. That's what I figured. And, um, yeah, to the extent that I've been out there on bikes that um, they technically have brakes, and if you're going to try to stop, uh, it's a good thing there's no dogs running out on the track because right? you wouldn't have a prayer. And so... We've had a uh, we've had a very very effective um, method of of getting ourselves to stop, uh, but we do eliminate usually the front brakes off the motorcycles. And ironically, I never rear... use that one anyways. Yes, <laughs> you know they're so overrated, right? <laughs> and one of the one of the uh, most one of the most um, Unusual finds that we had was is that we've had lots of disc brake rear calipers, and uh, disc brakes actually have a bit of drag on them, and the pistons don't really push back. Ah, that's right. And so if you uh, if you're trying to go really fast, usually what you do is you you have somebody come back with a screwdriver and uh, relieve the pistons back and force the pistons back in. So even if you do want to hit your brakes, um, you're gonna have to <laughs> pump them two or three times before they work. <laughs> And well, I, maybe there's like a 1750 class with the drum <laughs> rear brake, right? Well, that's a, it's I, funny you say that because I actually run drum rear brakes. So I've uh, I, I have a I have a select number of bikes that had 17 inch cast wheels that are wide enough for the tires that we run with drum brakes because they don't drag and we don't use them. Is this a is this like a V Max with a chain and a drum brake in the rear now? Uh, the VMAX? No, that one actually still has a caliper in the oh, back, okay. I believe, yeah. Yeah, I think I stuck with it. Oh, no, maybe I did. I, I was going to say, that wouldn't classify as stock. No, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, stock classes, <laughs> long, long ago. All right, so the uh, the racing this year happens, what's the dates? 
Uh, August 28th through September 3rd. Okay. And if somebody wants to be a volunteer, they go and find the Sodium Distortion website and contact you there? Yeah, either get a hold of us at the Sodium Distortion website or go to Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials. And uh, the Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trial website is really kind of a hub. And uh, then there's other groups on Facebook that will all steer you there as well. Jen, you got anything else? I was curious if Bill could speak a little bit to how much he relies on measurement devices like sensors versus how much he relies on sight sound experience and intuition in terms of, uh, you know, building something and figuring out if it's tuned right or if it's, you know, if it's going to run the way he wants. Uh, I'd be happy to speak to that because there's a... Oh, boy, there's a lot of different camps on that. And uh, so I'll tell you, me personally, um, I really don't mind blowing up engines. And uh, <laughs> the reality is, is that I'm out there to take it as far as I can go. And at a, you know 150 miles an hour, you don't really have that much time to sit there and study the gauges very much. Right. It's just right. not, not a real thing. Uh, some people look at their boost. Some people look at their you know, cylinder head temps or their exhaust gas temps, things like that. Um, I typically uh, have had great success with just taking the bikes out and running them with literally no gauges, maybe a temp gauge. I do do data acquisition on the bike that I can look at it after the fact. But sure. um, during the race, um, by the time you hear something that's going wrong at 150 or 170 miles an hour, 180 miles an hour, whatever, it's usually too late. You know, the, the things have gone catastrophically wrong and you're you're coasting off the course and thinking, well, <laughs> maybe I've got another engine in the pit. And a lot of times we do. <laughs> um, now, there is a, uh, a given amount of traction control above, especially right about 180 miles an hour, that we encounter a lot of wheel spin. And we have done things like put two bicycle speedometers on top of each other and putting putting one in that uh, reads the front wheel, one that reads the back. And you look to see if the back one starts going too much faster than the front Uh, one. And then you roll off the gas because it's uh, really hard to tell when you're getting wheel spin at 180 and you've got, you know, say you've got another 30 or throttle response left. It's really easy to try to grab another, you know, another handful and, it sounds like you're going faster, but the wind isn't getting louder in your helmet, and you're going to get back to the pit, and you're going to find out how much fun it is to change tires. All right. It- well, um, I want to thank you, sir, for coming in today. And Thanks, it's uh, the, the website for the team is Sodium Distortion. You can read about their awards that they've culled over the years. You can go there to to, uh, check in and see if they need any volunteers. And uh, I wish you guys all the best out there. I appreciate it. And thank you, uh, Tom and Jennifer, for having me out. And uh, the team hopes to see you all down sometime. So anytime anybody can make it, uh, come by the pit. We usually are there welcoming anybody we can. They should just pack up from the gorge and go right on down to Salt Flats. Absolutely. Head south. Sounds good to me. All right, we'll be right back with some tips and tricks. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by I-90 Motorsports, your Eastside destination for Honda, Yamaha, Triumph, KTM, Suzuki, and Can-Am sales and service. Does your taste for outdoor fun go beyond two wheels? 
I-90 Motorsports has you covered with a wide range of sleds, watercraft, UTVs, and side-by-sides too. Check them out online today at I-90Motorsports.com. Hi, I'm Sharon Coop, and I'm from Surrey, B.C. My favorite ride is going out Highway 30 up to Vista House, and then we go on over to Larch Mountain for the most amazing view of five volcanoes. A view you will never forget once you've been there. You have to take that ride. It is excellent. Hi, this is Scoshi from Avon Motorcycle Tires. You're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Soundwriter Show, I want to thank Bill Woods for dropping in and doing the interview with us. Kind of enlightening if you've never been out there at the Salt Flats before. And uh, before we go into our tips and tricks, we've got two more news bites we want to drop in here. Go ahead, Jen. Shoot. Yeah, so uh, MotoGP is going to come to Circuit of the Americas in October. It's going to be October 1st and 3rd. And uh, the reason that was uh, that that was a late-breaking development was because uh, one of the uh, – so Japan, the round in Japan, got uh, canceled. And so uh, this might be your last chance to see Valentino Rossi race in the U.S. So if you can get down to Austin, Texas, October 1 through 3rd, check it out. And then one just other motor up, on down. And yeah, just motor on down there. Uh, and then uh, on any Sunday uh, is uh, having its 50 year anniversary. And this is, a, a, you know, a, a iconic motorcycle movie. And uh, they're with the re-release hoping to get dealers to uh, have open houses and sponsor uh, filming events. And so if uh, if you're a dealership or if you've got a, a way to show a film, <laughs> then uh, you can get more information on on any Sunday at 50.com. So that's the website on any Sunday at 50.com. And, uh, and so they remastered it again mm-hmm. and uh, yep. probably added in some more footage. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a whole new generation of riders that have uh, likely never seen that movie. So, uh, you know, grab a friend and uh, you check it out and take somebody that uh, has never seen or heard of it. Yeah, and as soon as you leave the movie theater, take them over to the shop and have them buy <laughs> right. a bike. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's talk some tips and tricks. You want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Uh, one of my favorite motorcycle tips is something you can do off the bike, and that is uh, use motorcycles for passwords. And the reason that is so brilliant is that, uh, you know, most models of motorcycles are a combination of letters and numbers. And, uh, you know, you can substitute a dollar sign for an S and, uh, you know, have an easy to remember and a fun uh, fun thing to think about every time you log into one of those websites that uh, asks you to create a new password. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. I won't. I won't tell my secret for creating <laughs> right, passwords. Right. Otherwise, everybody would figure out my password. So I'm not going right, to tell. Right. Uh, yeah, you got to be careful with your uh, Moto friends that uh, they don't figure you out. Yep. <laughs> 
And so my passwords have nothing to do with motorcycles. <laughs> but like, yeah, if you're on the if you're on the Facebook and people know you're into motorcycles and start hacking in, oh, right. she had a, she used to have a <laughs> BMW F six fifty GS. Well, I have one, and then I know you have one more after I after I'm done. Um, I really hate using sunscreen. Uh, I don't like to put anything on my skin I wouldn't eat. And it turns out that there are actually some natural oils. Uh, Raspberry oil comes to mind. It has a 30 SPF. Oh, Tom, where do you get raspberry oil? You have to buy it online. Uh, there's another uh, nut oil that has like a 25 SPF. And you, again, you'd have to buy it online. I don't think you're going to walk into the grocery store or not even like a, a store like PCC and find raspberry sure. oil. But So um, have you tested these out and found them to work? Well, I use, I use olive oil quite mm-hmm. often on my skin uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I found it actually helps to reduce uh, rosacea on your face if you have that mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also get uh, – I've been getting some styes, and that helps to relieve all the pressure from the styes. So um, – and it's, it is really nice. If you get a sunburn and you put olive oil on, it's kind of like putting aloe vera on. Sure. But I tend to have more olive oil in the house than aloe vera. Right, and then if you need it for cooking, you've got it handy for that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cooking, I put <laughs> – I do all kinds of crazy stuff with olive oil. Yeah. I've gotten away from using sunscreen over the past few years, too, and have just taken an approach of uh, either shade or long sleeves or, uh, or yeah, I've used some different essential oils that I've experimented with, too. So, yeah, uh, yeah if you want to get away from some of those uh, chemicals and things that, uh, yeah, you don't want in your mouth and in your eyes, then, uh, yeah, here's some no. alternatives for you. And when I'm riding... Um... I wear a full-face helmet, so I, my head's pretty well protected, and uh, I've got a, a shield on there that has a UV 400 rating on it. So that's kind of like riding in the car. If you, Any cars that are made today all have a UV 400 uh, coating on the windshields and right. on all the windows. So uh, that, that works pretty well for me, but I find when I ride, I still end up at some point during the ride, I got my helmet off, I'm like... Right. You know, going to lunch or something, and I pick up a lot of sun, so I'm gonna start rubbing more olive, more olive oil all over my face when I'm out on rides. Yeah, I cheat sometimes and take my neck buff or uh, you know my neck protection, and I'll pull that up over and use that as a makeshift hat if I have to. If I forgot a you know a hat and I take my helmet off. Oh, I got some really nice neck buffs in the warehouse right now. Right, and I was going to ask you, how is your stock on the Soundrider store? Have you had uh, the Soundrider store? Have you had uh, uh, supply chain issues, or is all that uh, kind of settled down for you? We have, and the way I've controlled it is uh, anybody who gets the newsletter for the store knows I'm not hitting you every two weeks with a newsletter. I'm only hitting you maybe once a month because I don't have enough cooling vest if I went out and really promoted the heck out of them, and it's hard sure. to get them right now. Yep. Uh, you know, and I could be making money, but but then I just have a bunch of unhappy people. Right, and I don't right. want to do that. So I've just been minimizing the newsletters, and and uh, when I don't have a certain color or size in stock, I'll call the customer and see if they want to take an optional. You know, maybe you'd like a blue instead of a silver because I don't have a blue today or sure. a, a silver today. So, 
So, yeah, it's been a tricky game, and it it all does result in lower sales, but right. we somehow managed to get by. Uh, you're doing stuff with painter's tape when you go to track <laughs> days. Yeah, this is a, a track day tip that if you already knew it, it's a real kind of duh. But if you didn't know it, it's it's uh, kind of mind-blowing. And that is, uh, you know, the the first uh, time I went out to the track, and you've got to cover up your, um, your lights and your... Um, turn signals with tape uh one so that they're not so distracting but then if you crash there's less uh you know plastic flying around uh so i take my little one inch painter's tape and you know cover everything up and it took forever and then uh you know i was in a uh you know a store that uh, maybe a lowe's or something and and uh, i saw that they had three inch painter's tape and i'm like what i had no idea they even made it that wide and so i got a roll of that and it cut the time uh, covering up the lights in half it was great so if you don't know that there's three inch wide painters tape and you're doing track days then you'll definitely want to pick some up just buy a couple rolls and just wrap the whole bike in painters tape. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's one way to keep anything from falling off wrap yourself to it heck well i'll add one to that uh so as long as you got the painter's tape, if you're if you're putting luggage on board like a soft duffel bag or something, and it's going to be rubbing up against any paint areas, put the painter's tape on. That's a great idea. I and love probably it. Probably put a couple layers on because if you just put one layer on, and it's, if if you're going off road, you're going to want to add another one or two layers. See, now you're giving me ideas for how I can uh, patch up my blue KLR. Yeah, or save your your new Tenere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for doing the show with me this month. Yeah, it's great and fun. And I hope uh, you're going to come back here. next month. It's It'd be my pleasure. All right. That is our August show. We will be back with the September show. I kind of think the September show is going to arrive a little bit late because we're all going to be getting back from the rally in the gorge. That's right, and we hope to see you at the rally in the gorge. Once we have it done, it'll go up online. If you've got the Apple or the Spotify, you'll be able to know it right away that it's a new one's been launched. If uh, We always put it on the Facebook page, too. So. Have a great month. We hope we see a bunch of you down in Hood River at the end of the month. Bye, everybody. The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.